Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Good Food Fourth Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that you each participant limit yourself to one question and, if necessary, one follow-up. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has any difficulties here in the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, November 11, 2020, at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Foods' current and future plans, expectations and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or other future events or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari, Good Food Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Ferrari, you may proceed. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à l'appel conférence de marché Good Food pour présenter nos résultats financiers du quatrième trimestre et de l'exercice 2020, clos le 31 août de cette année. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp, in which we'll present our financial results for the fourth quarter and fiscal year ended August 31st, 2020. I am pleased to be joined on the call today by Neil Kagi, Good Food's President and Chief Operating Officer, and by Philip Adam, Chief Financial Officer. Our press release reporting fourth quarter results was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. And now turning to slide three, which outlines our key financial highlights for the fourth quarter and fiscal year. Our exceptional results this quarter and year validate Good Foods' long-term business strategy and leading position in the e-commerce grocery and meal solutions markets. During this year and this quarter, we experienced tremendous growth accomplishments but also significant business and human challenges. While the second half of fiscal 2020 has been amongst the most difficult periods in our history, it was also the most rewarding. In addition to managing personal and family considerations, our employees worked tremendously hard to keep up with the essential needs of Canadians coast to coast while implementing enhanced safety protocols to keep our workforce and customers safe. To all Good Food employees, I want to say thank you. Our results this year and quarter surpassed our expectations. For the second quarter in a row, we are pleased to report net income and positive EBITDA, in addition to record levels on several key metrics. We are also very proud to report positive EBITDA for the full year, a first in our history and a clear demonstration of our business model strength. First, our annual growth in revenue outpaced our growth in subscribers by a factor of two, as our strategy to expand our product offering and provide larger share of our customers' grocery basket, combined with the new customer behavior trends, translated into larger basket sizes and more frequent orders. As such, our revenue for the year reached $285 million, a 77% increase. Second, our gross margin has continued to increase substantially, hitting 32.8% this quarter, a 6.1 percentage point year-over-year improvement, and 30.3% for the fiscal year, a 5.3 percentage point jump 
compared to last year. A decrease in incentives and credits, improvement in shipping costs driven by our Good Courier initiative, and increased density and automation investments contributed to the gross margin increase. Third, we are very pleased to report our second consecutive quarter of net income and positive EBITDA. This reflects not only growth in revenue and gross margin improvement, but also an efficient operating leverage driven by our scale and higher order rates. We are also immensely proud of having achieved profitability for the full fiscal year on an EBITDA basis, with adjusted EBITDA reaching $4.7 million for the year, a margin of 1.6%. This margin represents an improvement of 11.7 percentage points compared to last year. Overall, our financial performance this quarter has been exceptional, driven by accelerated penetration of online grocery shopping. I will now turn to slide four to provide an e-commerce grocery market update. This year has been marked by a pre-pandemic and a pandemic period. Before the pandemic, the online grocery market was already set to take off, and its penetration amongst Canadian households was forecasted to grow significantly. Online grocery in Canada was expected to surpass the $3 billion mark by 2023 on the back of a 21% compound growth rate. Turning to slide five, you can see that years of growth were turned into months and that inflection point of the online grocery industry came much sooner. The online grocery market is now estimated to already be in the six to $8 billion range currently and expected to reach approximately the $25 billion mark by 2025, growing at a 56% compound growth rate. This acceleration of growth is driven by a sharp rise in first-time users as 55% of polled Canadians had purchased groceries online by March of this year. We are excited by these growth prospects and our outstanding customer experience and operating footprint positions us uniquely to capitalize on these tailwinds and build leadership in the online grocery industry. Moving to slide six, here you can see the strategy we are executing to build this leadership on the back of robust unit economics. Our strategy is simple. We want to build a large subscriber base and gain market share, and we do that through ensuring a world-class experience for our members by increasing selection and flexibility, as well as investing in automation and density. That allows us to maximize our profitability per subscriber, which in turn allows us to add more subscribers, and so the wheel keeps rolling. This strategy is enabled and supported by very strong unit economics. Our average order value continues to grow sharply this year, with approximately 94% of revenue coming from subscribers with three or more orders. The increases in average order value and gross margin combined with stable order rates and lower customer acquisition costs since March, equate with an industry-leading marketing payback period of just north of five months. Switching to slide seven for key business highlights. First, we delivered record financial results by responding to Canadians' strong and sustained demand as they embraced online grocery shopping in a way that marks a pivotal and permanent shift in consumer shopping habits. As such, we generated record revenues and positive EBITDA for fiscal year at, and ended the year with a strong $107 million cash balance. Our strong performance throughout the year has been recognized by the capital markets as we have been included in the S&P TSX small cap index and were selected to TSX 30 as a top 30 performing stock on the TSX. Second, in 2020, we have also taken the steps to support our growth trajectory with the leasing or construction of four facilities during the year. This footprint of purpose-built manufacturing and fulfillment centers, along with our new cloud kitchens for prepared meals, now reaches 590,000 square feet from coast to coast. Third, we further improved our members' experience through multiple customer-centric initiatives including the ramp of Good Courier, which now delivers over half of our orders, and the launch of our mix-and-match platform, Good Food Flex, 
and our same-day delivery subscription, Good Food Wow. We also increased our product offering from approximately 40 SKUs a year ago to approximately 400 SKUs currently. New product launches this quarter include staples such as 2% milk, butter, an increased variety of breads, proteins, snacks and desserts such as olive oil, uh, candy, delicious pies. Finally, we deepened our bond with our community. We have taken steps throughout the year to communicate with our ecosystem transparently. We made PP&E available and mandatory to our employees everywhere and provided meals to frontline healthcare workers, among others. On that note, I'll now turn the call over to Philippe to go over our financial performance. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. Slide eight provides details in subscribers and revenue. Our fourth quarter is usually our slowest period in the year, impacted by the nicer weather, vacation time, and time spent outside the home. However, the acceleration of online grocery adoption alleviated these seasonality trends as demand for products maintained itself to a large extent. Unit economics remained strong throughout Q4 and revenue showed a significantly lower quarter-over-quarter sequential decline, decreasing only by 3% compared to 9% for the same period last year. At the end of the fourth quarter, Good Food's subscriber base reached 280,000 with the addition of 8,000 net new active subscribers in the last three months. Revenue has also grown to $83.7 million, up $38.4 million, or 85%, compared to the corresponding period in 2019. The increase in revenue was primarily driven by sustained order rates and bigger basket sizes from our current subscribers, which are fueled by the continued expansion of our product offering. As previously mentioned, 94% of our fiscal year 2020 revenue came from customers who have placed three orders or more, a clear testimony of our subscriber-based loyalty. Please now turn to slide nine, which looks at our profitability levels. Our gross profit increased to $27.5 million, a record, or a margin of 32.8%, an increase of 6.1 percentage points year over year. The increase in gross margin resulted mainly from lower credits and incentives as a percentage of revenue, improved unit economics for packaging and shipping, which are explained by a higher density among the delivery zones with good carrier now representing more than 50% of our orders, and increased purchasing power with key suppliers. This was slightly upset by higher food costs and by $1.1 million of COVID-19 related costs, such as temporary wage increase, personal protection equipment, and additional production employees. We are extremely proud to report a second consecutive quarterly positive adjusted EBITDA in our short history at $5.3 million, or a margin of 6.3%. Adjusted EBITDA was also positive for the fiscal year, hitting $4.7 million, or 1.6%. This strong performance resulted primarily from higher revenues and gross profits, the efficiency of our marketing strategy, as well as the operating leverage effect as SGN expenses as a percentage of revenues decreased year over year, despite continuing to invest significantly in our people with several key additions in our IT and online grocery departments. Similarly, we reported a second consecutive quarter of first net income. It reached $1.6 million compared to a net loss of $3.6 million for the same period last year. The first year of profitability is a great accomplishment and solidifies our business model and strategy as we continue to develop and launch new online grocery and meal solution products on a weekly basis. Turning to slide 10 for cash flow and capital expenditures. We generated record cash flow from opening activities of $2.4 million and $8.6 million, respectively, for the fourth quarter and the fiscal year. This was enabled by a positive net income, but also by a favorable variance in non-cash operating working capital as a result of our balance sheet structure and growing scale. The capital expenditures for Q4 and fiscal 2020 were respectively $2.9 million and $10.2 million. They were mainly related to the build-out of our third facility in Montreal, the construction of the flagship facility in the GTA, and the continued investment in automation equipment and technology. 
Note that our CapEx plans have been delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic to some extent, but we are still confident we'll be able to complete our investments and achieve our plan with minimal delays. For fiscal 2021, we plan on investing between 20 and $30 million in capital expenditures to build out our flagship facility in Toronto, build the infrastructure for same-day delivery across the country, and further increase our automation. We ended the quarter in a solid financial position with cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash of $107 million. We have good flexibility to grow from current levels, withstand headwinds, and execute on our strategy. Finally, we'd like to turn to slide 11 to provide some color on our outlook. The current pandemic has changed habits across consumer markets. We have seen a sustained shift to grocery shopping completed online, and we expect this shift to accelerate over the coming years as consumers realize how easy, convenient, and affordable it is to receive grocery items purchased online, delivered directly at their door. Our, our online platform and delivered to home fulfillment model has supported the significant growth in demand, which we expect to continue to be strong. With that said, some financial consequences of the pandemic will most likely reverse over time. We have incurred roughly $3.5 million of pandemic-related expenses that are non-recurring. While a portion of these costs have subsided already, some are still being incurred for the time being, and we anticipate they may stick for a few quarters. The pandemic has brought about business challenges and opportunities, and evaluating the full range of medium and long-term impacts today is still a challenge. We anticipate that a significant portion of grocery shopping done in stores has shifted and will continue to shift online. We also foresee that a large portion of food consumption done at restaurants and other hospitality businesses has and may very well continue to shift to e-commerce or meal solutions. With our developed footprint of purpose-built fulfillment centers, best-in-class last-mile logistics, and well-established brand, Good Food is in an ideal position to capitalize on these industry shifts. This concludes our financial highlights for the fourth quarter and our prepared remarks for today. We will now be pleased to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchdown telephone. To remove yourself from the queue, press the pound key. Again, to ask a question, that's star then one. Our first question comes from Martin Landry of Stiefel. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, it, it, it looks like you're, you're seeing increased loyalty uh, amongst your customer, which is great to hear. And um, I, I'd like to dig deeper into your, your revenue per customer um, your ARPU, when, when I look at it on, on a gross sale, has increased significantly year over year. And uh, by my calculation, it stands around $340. And, uh, and, and that looks like it's higher than Q1. And then despite uh, unfavorable seasonality, as you mentioned, uh, with the summer. So, uh, you know, that increase of, of $50 year over year, I, you know, I'd love to hear um, if you could discuss a little bit more um, the main drivers of, of that growth. Thanks, Matt. Good morning. Um, so definitely during um, these summer months that were that are uh, seasonally slower usually, we did experience um, a year-over-year improvement in order rates and, and order frequency, which helped drive that um, increase in ARPU. I think part of that is um, pandemic-related, um, and part of it is also related to our long-term strategy. So in in building out ways for us to uh, increase the speed of delivery and the flexibility in which customers can engage with us, um, the, the intent is to build out um, longer-term, uh, higher-order rates and frequencies. And the second piece on, on the basket size um, increases is, is really driven primarily by um, the increase in, in our selection. So the, the more products that we have av- available to our customers, whether it be um, ready-to-cook products, ready-to-eat uh, meals, um, our expanding selection of grocery products, as the, uh, as the selection grows, uh, we're seeing our customers uh, opt in to, uh, to, to, to all sorts of, of new products. And so that's that's the other main driver in, in increasing the ARPU year over year. 
Okay. Um, you know, if I can follow uh, follow up on that, um, you know, you're you're saying that um, some of the growth has, has been related to pandemic, and and some of the growth has been related to your strategy, but. It, it you know it's it looks to me it's still very early days in in your grocery offering. Uh, you mentioned you have 400 SKUs. You want to go to in excess of 2,000 SKUs. Uh, your basket size is moving up already um, with a, a limited offering like you're ta- talking about. Um, you know where could your 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 um, your ARPU um, go in in the coming years? I mean, you know, it seems to me that there's a lot of torque in in there. Would love to hear your views on that. Absolutely, I think um, as you mentioned, it, it's early days. As we launch um, Good Food Wow, our same day delivery offering, um, the, the number one piece of feedback from our customer base is. Uh, we'd love more selection. So, so it's it's pretty magical to get everything we love from good food delivered uh, on a same day basis, just just like magic. So, um, our customers are loving it, and and they're really uh, demanding for more selection. And so, so as that selection increases, and as our our penetration of of same day uh, delivery grows, which today is only uh, currently available in Montreal. Um, as those key components move, um, you know, I think we'll start converging um, the economics closer to um, uh, industry average um, basket sizes and order frequencies for for groceries and, and online groceries. And and if you if you just look at where we are today versus those averages, there's a there's probably a thirty percent plus upside uh, in the longer term as as we build out that selection. Uh, and as we roll out same-day delivery across the country. Okay, that's helpful. And maybe just one one last one as a follow-up as well is, um, you know, any chance you can give us some uh, some details on your rollout of that uh, grocery offering uh, or, or same-day delivery uh, across the country, timing-wise? Uh, what I can say at this stage is um, uh, progress in Montreal is going um, very well. So the um, uh, the rollout in and around the Montreal island um, was really our our key ground to um, test out all of our processes, uh, work through any kinks in same day delivery, and and really get a good grasp on it. Uh, and the next market to launch will be uh, in Toronto. So we'll have same day delivery uh, in the GTA. Um, I would say beginning of 2021. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, and congratulations on a good great quarter. Not saying that would be calendar year 2021. Our next question comes from Ryan Lee of National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Hey, thanks for taking my questions, um, and congrats on another good quarter. Um, Just had a couple of questions. The first, um, uh, with regards to the SKUs for the private label grocery, um, uh, can you talk about... At this point, like what what's the plans in terms of how fast that's going to grow over the next year? Um, uh, in terms of next year's trends, uh, yeah, could you talk on that? And secondly, um, the second question uh, is: there's been some concern about uh, shift back into discounts. So through the pandemic, in the grocery channel, there's been a shift um, into conventional and one-stop shopping, and that's kind of slowed over the last couple months. Um, what's your view on on the shift back into discount, um, and, and does Good Food have any levers that it can pull to kind of mitigate some of the impacts there? Yeah, sure. I'll take the uh, – this is Neil. I'll take the first one, and uh, John, you can uh, pile on for the, uh, the second half of the question there. Um, in terms of uh, SKU adoption, as uh, John just alluded to, in the last question, uh, it's it's the number one ask from our clients, um, which is really exciting. So we've been focusing quite a bit over the last year on building the team, building the capabilities, kind of ironing out the, the machine to launch uh, SKUs every week. And uh, if you go on the website and look at our kind of new arrival section uh, for groceries, you'll have a, an idea of what's coming um, what's coming online every uh, every week. Uh, and then we also have SKUs that we're launching across Ready to Cook and Ready to Eat uh, on a regular basis as well, new categories, new uh, new recipes. Um, so it's pretty exciting, the, the pace of change. Um, we think we can still hit a, you know, three to 4,000 SKUs in the in the next uh, 24 to 36 months. 
um, and we're in a good place to start hitting a, a pretty high uh, run rate of, of additional items and getting on the website on a weekly basis right now. I think in the last couple of weeks, we've been in the 15 to 20 range. And as we said, we started the year around 40 and ended the year over 400. So, uh, you know, really good progress on that from the team. Um, John, I'll let you take the uh, discount versus conventional. Yeah, sure. Um, so our our view around why the shift was happening um, from from seeing that growth in, in discount in, into conventional was driven really by two things. So the first one was um, the, the kind of wider aisles and and safer feel of the shopping environment in, in conventional banners um, was driving foot traffic there uh, during some peak moments of the pandemic. And the second um, piece is really the shift from um, share of stomach or um, restaurant kind of restaurant meals, right? So, so share of stomachs from from restaurant um, was shifting more towards um, conventional banners and conventional shopping because of the demographics of, of the customers. And so, the way that we think about it in the good food context, um, you know, our are, we don't need to worry about the size of our aisles or or the um, uh, safety of the experience from a customer perspective. It's it's really clear to customers why um, good food offers a, a, a safe shopping experience. Um, and and the second piece around um, shift of the stare, of the share of stomach from from restaurants into conventional banners uh, or, or discount banners, we're, we're still um, benefiting from from that shift in the share of stomach. And as we build out um, some really great meal solutions on on the prepared meal side um, that are that are offering, uh, you know, our intent there is to offer a selection of delicious uh, restaurant quality meals at grocery store prices. We're still able to hit that value component uh, while benefiting from the the shift in in the share of stomach from the restaurant uh, industry and into grocery, and and these habits are being reinforced, right, um, <clears throat> over the, the months and, and years that the pandemic is lasting. Um, the, these shifts and, and uh, purchasing trends and change in behaviors are, are really being reinforced, and, and we expect this to, to have positive tailwinds uh, in the years to come. Okay, thanks again, guys. Our next question comes from Frederick Trimbley of the Jardin. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I was just wondering if you could comment on how um, things are trending in Q1 so far in terms of the order frequency and order size. Um, have you seen a change since uh, the recent uh, uptick in COVID cases and, and some additional uh, stay-at-home measures? Hi, Fred. It's Phil. Uh, thanks for your question. So. Um, so first of all, like Q4 was between uh, wave one and wave two of the pandemic, and we saw that the the, the new trends were very sticky, and um, an average order value and order rate were impacted very favorably. Um, like our basket size, I think John alluded to it, like grew uh, strong double digit year over year. Um, so what we're seeing so far in Q1. Um, is the same trends. I mean, it's still still strong order rate. Obviously, um, it's always better in Q1 than Q4, which is our summer. And uh, average uh, basket size is growing with the number of, uh, of SKUs that we're adding as well uh, in our product offering. So, um, so so far the trends remain the trends remain sticky, especially as we are in a second wave right now in Canada. Great, and then just just wondering on um, on your thoughts on the post-COVID world, or, or once a vaccine is available. I appreciate the comments earlier about uh, potential upside to the basket size. When you're thinking about your number of subscribers, what are some of your assumptions there um, in terms of customer retention once um, you know, we move past the COVID crisis? So the, um, I, I think the the most important um, um, shift in our strategy in, in the past 12 months has been from saying, um, you know, our growth in, in subscriber base is going to be the primary um, driver of our flywheel or the primary growth vector for, for good food. 
and and that made a lot of sense um, in the first few years of of the business because we were working on uh, building out a national brand, building out national infrastructure to support our our customers, building out our our logistics and, and supply chain networks. So um, it, it was really the um, the most intelligent way um, to scale the the business and, and to build out our strategy on on that front. Um, and, and over the past 12 months, even before the pandemic, you'll recall, um, we started um, developing the, the two other vectors of our of our flywheel. So in addition to subscriber growth, um, we've also been uh, building out this strategy to uh, increase our, our selection. So from 40 SKUs to 400 SKUs today to 4,000 SKUs in the future. Uh, which is which is a, a major growth vector for for good food and and it is is showing improvements on uh, not only basket sizes but um, retention um, and um, and customer lifetime values and the second or sorry the third piece of that um, growth vector uh, is really the acceleration of um, our delivery speed so there there will always be um, a segment of our customer base that is um, on on a, a weekly subscription, and it's going to be the most cost-effective, really the most value-oriented way to receive a, a good food delivery. Um, but adding uh, same-day delivery into the mix is, is really, if you if you think about it, it's really turning um, our, our potential from from selling to a customer once a week, so 52 times a year to being able to service our customers 365 days a year uh, if they want to. And so so from that perspective, it's really another huge um, uh, growth driver and, and growth vector for the business. And, and those three pillars, the, the subscriber growth, the growth in variety uh, and selection, as well as uh, offering a, a faster speed of delivery, they're all working together um, to improve our our. Uh, the whole economics of the business, the basket sizes, retention, customer acquisition costs, and and uh, order frequency. And so um, we're, we're tracking really nice quarterly progress on all of those metrics through our strategy. And and pushing forward, I think um, the, uh, the business was on a, a great trajectory pre-COVID. Um, we're in a situation where a lot of these trends have been pulled forward and and a lot of attention has been um, um, brought on onto good food during this this pandemic. Um, but but even beyond, you know, I think we're still in in um, the very early innings of digitizing one of Canada's largest industries. And so it's hard to it's hard to forecast what might happen um, in any short term time period. But in the long term, we're still in the very early innings, and, and that's how our team is is building out our strategy and and running our uh, our operations. Very helpful. Thank you. Our next question comes from Luke Hannon of Canaccord. Your line is open. Thanks, and uh, good morning, everyone. I, I wanted to um, dig a little bit further into uh, the gross margin line. Obviously, it was um, up 6.1 percentage points year over year. That's a very um, healthy improvement. I'm curious to know. Uh, in the press release, it talks about um, how uh, scale and purchasing power with suppliers um, sort of help drive that uh, performance year over year. I'm, I'm curious to know if uh, your suppliers um, or if you, your company is impacted at all by, uh, we've all seen the headlines um, for supplier fees being passed by uh, your, your brick and mortar peers, the incumbents onto their suppliers. Is that something that affects you um, or your suppliers? Did that help you sort of gain purchasing power with them uh, in the quarter? Yeah, hi Luke, this is Neil. Um, it's a great question. We uh, we are not uh, we don't participate in those supplier fee games. Um, we uh, we negotiate pretty favorably with price with our uh, with our suppliers and. Um, as we said, we do we do business with over a hundred farms and and artisans, so it's very difficult for them to make their business work if we're uh, layering on fees and fees and fees. Um, so in short, uh, no. Um, what what has driven uh, increase in gross margin definitely has uh, has been affected by by food costs and and purchasing power. So that's really 
uh, exciting to see as we've continued to scale. We've been able to get better terms uh, and better pricing uh, for our customers. Um, yeah, that's kind of uh, that's kind of what I can say on that for now. Okay. And following up on that, as far as uh, food cost inflation, I noticed that's, some, that's something that wasn't called out in, uh, in the press release or the MDNA. Is that still sort of an ongoing issue for you guys to mitigate? Do you anticipate, um, you know, is it still such a pervasive issue that you're still maybe considering uh, passing through price increases or any color there will be helpful? Yeah, for sure. I think one, one thing to add uh, to, uh, to our supplier relationships as well as I think about it a little more is uh, as we've grown selection and, you know, uh, through press releases and conference calls, people, um, suppliers have been reaching out to us to do business. So they understand the traction that uh, we're getting in uh, selling our grocery products with our, uh, with our customers and have been very excited to do business with us, which has been a great change uh, over the past 12 months, and we anticipate that and uh, growing even further. Um, I think to your to your second question, um, food cost inflation has been definitely felt in in parts of our our, our portfolio uh, of ingredients, uh, and uh, has been uh, offset a lot by purchasing power and going direct to, to farms uh, in other parts. So we put forth uh, a price a price increase in um, in July, uh, late uh, late Q4, late Q4. Uh, and uh, that was uh, well received by customers, given the uh, food cost uh, inflation environment. Um, and so far in Q1, we don't anticipate any major changes. We've been able to kind of play with the menu and and uh, and use our purchasing power to offset any changes. There. Okay. And last one for me, and then I'll uh, pass the line. Just on the competitive environment, we know obviously um, one of your uh, competitors in the space launched their online offering. I think it would have been early on um, in your fiscal Q4. I'm, I'm just curious to know if you've noticed any impact from that or maybe other competitors coming into the space. Um, you know, the the online grocery market, we can all see it's obviously expanded um, quite considerably since the onset of COVID-19. I'm curious to know if there's been any, um, uh, if, you, if you've been able to maintain your share with the onset of these new uh, competitors, if you've been able to grow share or if you've noticed any um, other sort of competitive um, effects, we'll say, in your your areas of operation. Yes, certainly. So I, I think the um, what what the pandemic has has made clear is um, that the penetration of of online uh, groceries in Canada is going to happen much more quickly than than we were expecting in the past, and. Uh, whereas some of the most optimistic um, uh, forecasts were suggesting somewhere between five and and ten percent penetration in online groceries in Canada within within the next few years, um, now we're seeing um, analysts and and major uh, competitors in the space think that twenty um, percent uh, penetration in, in the online grocery spaces is uh, not unreasonable, and so. What that means is um, all of the um, competitors in the space uh, are are thinking about how this shift is is going to affect um, um, their business and and their customer offering. Um, it certainly creates some questions around um, what what to do with a with a store network um, in order uh, a, a store network that might see fifteen to twenty percent of their business shift in some way. It creates a lot of questions around that, and so so um, our view is um, um, all of the different ways in which uh, a customer um, is is interested in interacting with online groceries, whether it be uh, click and collect, one hour delivery, same day delivery, and then next day and beyond. All of those different ways in, in which a customer can be serviced um, needs to be. Offered and, and available to those uh, to those customers, and so uh, we do expect um, that that all competitors in the industry will be building out those different offerings and and beefing them up uh, in the coming years. Okay, appreciate all the comments. 
Our next question comes from Michael Glenn of Raymond James. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good morning. So just circling back to gross margin, um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about the Good Courier Initiative? I guess I'm I'm definitely surprised to see this myself. Um, when it was first described, I, I never thought it would sort of generate the, the, the size of uh, upside we're seeing on the gross margin. Like, what, where's that coming from exactly? Yeah, hi, Michael. Uh, this is Neil. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an extension of the strategy that we've been talking about for a long time. So focusing on building density uh, has been the number one uh, way in which we can reduce delivery costs, whether we're working with um, partners or uh, with Good Courier. And when we see a certain market hit a threshold of density, uh, the, the payback for, for launching Good Courier in that market is uh, multiples in the first year. So uh, we've been able to build a team and a playbook that we can roll out uh, those markets uh, increasingly uh, quickly uh, over the past uh, 12 months. Um, so just an extension of, of what we've been uh, talking about and doing for the last five or six years. And uh, it also allows us a lot more control, so we can be much more customer-centric. Um, the, uh, the Good Career team can have uh, Uber-like tracking. Um, we can have uh, moving billboards on the side of uh, wrapped vans in the cities. Um, it allows us to do refrigerated transportation as well. So there's a, a huge amount of upside to, uh, to uh, owning that piece of the uh, delivery experience. And, and you're, I think I think you might have stated your your current penetration on good couriers about fifty percent. Do you have any um, projections as to where that might track in coming quarters? Uh, yeah, that's right. So we're currently uh, just above fifty percent. Um, again, the way that we look at it is uh, on a city by city basis. It doesn't even have to be a large urban center. Um, we could, it can be a uh, what we would consider a tier two or tier three center as well. So we'll continue to roll out where it makes uh, most sense. Um, I can't give you a, a, a clear forecast. I don't think that's something we want to uh, share at this point. What we can say is it'll be an increasingly uh, large number of deliveries, and we'd hope that the percentage would continue to increase. Um, but obviously, we're trying to grow the overall base at the same time. So if the overall base is growing faster than we can get good career in the market, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing for the overall business either. Okay, and and then just in terms of um, customer acquisition cost, and, and really want to hone in on on marketing spend here. In, in coming quarters, we're, we're thinking about this Good Food Wow uh, launching more broadly throughout Canada. Um, like, how should we think about marketing spend uh, surrounding this launch or these rollout efforts? Mm-hmm. So Q uh, Q4 is is always a, a seasonal time of the year where we tend to um, reduce our our marketing spend as it it tends to uh, land less well with customers that are um, just spending more time out of their homes and and going to to markets and walking around um, and and there are other uh, seasonal periods of the year um, such as uh, Q1 certain parts of Q2 and, and then Q3 where um, customers tend to be more receptive to uh, um, uh, signing up to an online offering. And, and um, the other two key points I would, I would add to that is, um, one, in launching uh, new products, so in growing the uh, selection of our products, um, as well as um, offering this new WOW and, and same-day delivery offerings. There's, there is some awareness that we need to, to uh, build out both within our customer base uh, and within the broader uh, Canadian population. And so we'll be investing in um, building that, that awareness out, uh, I would say, within uh, the coming quarters. Okay. Um, okay, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. I'll, I'll leave it there. Pleasure. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian Lee of Ace Capital. Your line is open. Good morning. Congrats on the quarter, uh, and thanks for taking my questions. The majority of my questions have been answered, but I was wondering if you could uh, maybe touch on profitability on non-meal kit uh, businesses. Are you guys seeing some signs of um, profitability on private label or ready-to-eat meal solutions? 
and could you maybe speak to when you expect to see profitability across the segments? Hi, Brian. It's Phil. Um, so first of all, um, every segment of our business has been growing quite a bit. Uh, Milk it too. So directionally speaking, you can think of uh, non-milk kit, which is no solution and, and private label, directionally in line um, with what we said in, in the past as a percentage of sales. And in terms of profitability, yes, it's um, it's going the right direction, not to the meal kit level uh, side yet. It's still, let's say, diluting to our gross margin and to our EBITDA uh, margin on our consolidated basis. But it's definitely um, going the right direction as we are strengthening our relation with our suppliers, um, automating the operations for sure, and uh, and launching more SKUs, getting more more scale um, and and and, and um, operating leverage in these segments. So um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what I can say about this. Got it. Thank you. And the second uh, question I have is, uh, in terms of SGNA, uh, we've seen we've seen improvement. Uh, now, as a percentage of revenues, uh, was it the reduced marketing spend? Uh, could, you, could you maybe touch on the main drivers of the change? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at our um, at our Q4 year over year, it, uh, it decreased. And, uh, I mean, we're very proud that we're able to show strong operating leverage um, in that quarter. And it's one of the main reasons why we're profitable as well. Um, I mean, I mean we're, we're still, like, investing quite a bit in our teams. Um, we're still hiring uh, lots of key people in IT, online grocery, and other key departments. So you have to think that um, that GNA still represents um, a big portion of our SGNA. I mean, obviously, um, like as uh, as you can see, like marketing is going very well. Marketing payback went from seven months in 2019 to five months in 2020. Um, so so definitely very efficient marketing strategy helped us on that front. But uh, but a lot of investment have been made and are being made in the, in our SGA. Got it. Thanks for uh, answering my questions. I'll jump in and keep. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from George Dumais of Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, guys, and uh, congrats on a strong quarter. Um, I just you. wanted to follow up on, on the gross margin uh, questions. Uh, just wondering if how much of that was was just strong operating leverage to a seasonally weak quarter, and how much of that was more structural gains in terms of efficiencies and, and lower incentives. I'm just trying to think about about that line, I guess, going into next year. Yeah, hey, George. Uh, it's Neil here. Um, operating, I, I would say operating leverage uh, was – uh, was lower than in Q3 for sure. Um, some of the other things that we had in, in Q4 that uh, were um, continued from Q3 uh, were a uh, high, number, high number of agency employees, uh, which come at a higher cost, and all of our central Canadian pay programs uh, that are associated with the, the first wave of the pandemic. So uh, we were able to deliver the good results despite having uh, quite a bit of pressure on the actual labor bucket of our gross margin. Um, and you can uh, take reference to my answer on, on cost infl- food cost inflation from the, uh, from the last, uh, last participant as well. Um, in terms of uh, percentages coming from operating leverage and, and credit incentives uh, and efficiency, just to give you an exact percentage, I think credit incentives, uh, we've performed quite well. Um, in uh, in Q4, uh, both on the incentive side and on the credit side, so the the team continues to to manage those metrics very very tightly. Um, and in terms of efficiency, I think uh, we have a lot uh, still a lot to go in terms of taking costs out of the equation. Um, our facilities today are uh, still quite manual from an online grocery perspective, uh, which is why we're very excited about uh, the new facilities coming online. Um, and being able to reduce our, our, our picking cost uh, well over 50% for any of our online groceries. Um, so there's a lot of efficiency still to, still to come in the coming years, and we think a lot of the labor cost can be taken out. Okay, thanks for that. And in general, our free cash flow generation has always been pretty strong because of, I guess, the negative working capital from the, from the meal kit business. But as we continue to focus and roll out on grocery, 
how should we think about impacting the working capital requirements of the business? Um, hi, George. Um, so, so, so definitely like managing the inventory with um, more SKUs is something that we think about. Um, I mean, so far we were able to operate our business uh, still as a just-in-time uh, business. I mean, if you look at our inventory turnover, it stayed mostly flat year over year, even though we've added many facilities throughout the year and that's several hundred of SKUs. So I think, I think um, we're, we're doing a good job and we can even be better over time. Uh, what's also important for us is to control waste. Um, like we said in the past, we have about 1% waste across our, our supply chain. And um, and we were able to keep that percentage um, close to one percent, even lower, uh, in the last quarter. So we we're striving to continue to uh, operate with the same unit economics, improving them, even though we're adding them uh, several thousand of, of SKUs. Okay, and just one last one, if I may. Um, I'd be happy to hear your thoughts on this one. Can you maybe talk to the differences in terms of the uh, subscribers acquired during COVID versus? prior to COVID, maybe qualitatively, and maybe from a churn perspective? Happy to do so. I think the <clears throat> the general takeaway um, is the, the customers that we were acquiring during COVID um, represent fairly similar um, purchasing patterns and, and economics to, to um, the customer base that we had before that. And, and I would say an important part of the reason was um, during some of the peak uh, weeks of COVID, we were we were indeed um, turning down demand. So we were uh, focusing on servicing our existing customers, um, solidifying our supply chain to actually uh, fulfill our customer promises to our existing customers rather than um, taking on all of the customers that were um, demonstrating interest in, in online uh, groceries and, and meal kits. And so, generally speaking, I would say because of that, um, we didn't get a lot of customers that were just there for a few weeks and, and turned out, um, and, and um, the customer base looks fairly similar to, to the rest of the base. And from a churn perspective as well? That's right. Okay, those are my questions. Good luck. Off the line. Thanks. Thanks very much. There are no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Jonathan Ferrari for any closing remarks. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the call, and we're looking forward to speaking with you again uh, next quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the conference. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.